This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hi, everyone. Dan Klein here. This is a second bonus episode to end 2023. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to talk to Gloria Triebenbach. She is the Community Alliance Chair for the TSC Alliance of the Pacific Northwest and also runs the Step Forward to Cure TSC Walk in the Pacific Northwest. She first got involved with the organization after her middle child was diagnosed and then went on to adopt another daughter with TSC. And her story is just really inspiring. She stepped up when she felt it was her time to step up. And she has been a connector in her community and brought so many families and resources together. So when there are newly diagnosed families in the Pacific Northwest, they have somewhere to turn. Earlier this year, the TSC Alliance honored Gloria with a Volunteer of the Year Award during our annual Volunteer Appreciation Celebration. So without further ado, here's Gloria sharing her story. So Gloria, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you. So to start, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your family's own journey with TSC. My middle biological child has tuberous sclerosis. We had never heard of TS either. However, my ex-husband, he had had a couple seizures as a kid. And he knew he took this banana medicine and then it went away. But there were several people in the family that had the angiofibroma on their face and they just called it the family skin. Everybody else was fine. I mean, they were, they really didn't have any issues. So when I was pregnant with my daughter, she's my second daughter, the grandmother. So my husband's mother went in for some problems and he, the doctor said, you know, you have tuberous sclerosis, right? She had no idea what he was talking about. And at the time I lived in Arizona, she lived in Washington and her doctor actually recommended that we not have the child and, and he never met me. So at that point, then we got connected with the National Tuberous Sclerosis Association. They gave her a bunch of information and I called and asked for just a bunch of information, but my other daughter was healthy and fine and developing normally, no seizures, nothing. But we knew then that it was a possibility. So after my daughter was born in 87, she was about nine months old. And we noticed some of the skin markings starting. So we took those pamphlets everywhere we went to a doctor. And then they would refer us to another doctor and on up the chain until we met Dr. Michael Frost at Phoenix Children's Hospital. He ran the CT and all those tests. And he confirmed that, yes, she does have it. But at the time, what they told people was, take your child home, treat them like normal. If they start to have a seizure, call us back. There were no gene markers. There was no genetic test. There was nothing except go home and wait. And that's what we did. So when the seizure started, well, then we knew we were in trouble. But we went back and and his office was amazing. And she did okay until about two years old. When she was two years old, the seizures came in right after her birthday, and they wouldn't stop. We had a solid year of absolute hell. And we would try one medicine, go up on it, come down. It wouldn't work. It was a nightmare. Prior to that, I have photos of her playing with the little kids next door. She could sing nursery songs, Sunday school songs. She, she was doing everything fine. And then when she was three years old, and we had one day where there wasn't any seizures, and 
she didn't play with anybody anymore. She sat in a corner of the room where there was no noise and she would flip pages in a book back and forth, back and forth. She couldn't hardly talk. She didn't walk right. It's like it got stolen away. So, you know, after that, then there wasn't as many meds to choose from. It was hit and miss for a lot of years. You get some some good years and some bad years, and we did everything we could to fill in the blanks along the way. She entered into a slow renal failure when she was about 16, and we did the best we could to control it with medicines and diet. And we didn't even have to do dialysis until she was about 23. So that was cool. I mean, we kept as far off as we could. We had two years of dialysis at home, and then things got worse, and we had to go to a clinic it was it was pretty bad. There were things were pretty bad. And then when she got a transplant, I thought, oh great, this is this is gonna be good. Yeah, things got harder. <laughs> I mean, we were grateful. And of course we are. I mean, we're almost 10 years post-transplant now. We were grateful, but at the same time, now you had this new filtering system and the old meds didn't work again. And we had to get new meds in different doses and they had to mix with the anti-rejection meds. It was it was hard, but we are 10 years post-transplant. She's coming up on her 36th birthday this year. So that's that's longer than they ever gave her a shot at. And then somewhere along the way, we were getting our foster license in 2007, and I was pretty excited. I'm a nurse, and I wanted to take home some of the kids that I worked with. Okay, one kid at least. But there were so many kids, if they weren't born perfect, that their parents just walked away. And I worked at a facility that that took care of these babies and children, and I wanted to take one home. Well, Cody, her folks, they had exhausted all their resources, and... Everybody copes differently. Sometimes it doesn't work. So one time we were at this parent support group and her her mom approached me and just said, look, can, can you take our child? And we did. So Cody was not quite 14 and we took on Cody. So now we have two daughters with tuberous sclerosis, but why not? I mean, we're doing tuberous sclerosis in the first place. May as well just do it twice. And so now our family got bigger. And how are both your daughters doing now and how was... Cody's experience different than your your middle daughter. So Cody is does not have to deal with renal failure. <laughs> That's a big plus. Cody, however, she had a lot of seizures as a baby. And and I remember seeing her folks at the parent support group meetings, and she just had an awful case of no matter what you did, the, the seizures came back and, and a variety of seizures. So she has a dual diagnosis of Lennox Gastaut syndrome which to me means just a buttload of seizures from all areas of the brain. You add that to it. And then Cody is essentially nonverbal. She has words. She has no reason to use them, she thinks. And we're trying to still working on that. But she gets her point across with body language. Anyway, so it just put a huge strain on the family. But when she came to us, she had her 14th birthday with us. That's our marker of, you know, when, when she became ours. And she used to have about four or five good days a month where maybe she didn't have to have a rescue med. Maybe she wasn't seizing on those days. And since then, she is, is it 28. She's going to be 28 this year. And she has about four or five bad days a month now. That's all. So we've worked with the doctors. We've worked through different meds and situations and got her to where she's alert more with a lot less seizures. And she functions at about three years old, but she's, oh my gosh, she's smart. There are things that she is smart that she can do. 
you know, they had her in OT and PT, like a lot of our kids all those years. And, and then the school didn't rate her very high. When Cody doesn't want to do something, she doesn't. She just doesn't. But she can take her spoon and pick through a stew and pick out everything and leave the peas. Who does that? I mean, you scoop a stew, it all comes on the spoon, but she can manipulate that. So you've got the people with OT thinking that you can't do things, you can't button a button, but you can pick a pea out of a stew. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty amazing. They both go to, to dances and they have social groups and they have friends. They have friends that know their name and they light up when they see them. That's awesome. And it, and it's great too that you're, you know, finally finding the combination of medications to help like make their lives better. I'm sure that was such a long journey to get to that point. It is. The selection of meds from the late 80s compared to what there was even when Cody was born in 94. And and then watching things come down the line and get approved five at a time, you know, there's an incredible amount of meds now to choose from, and they're not all going to knock your kid out. Used to be the change off was when Sissy was little, if the seizures were controlled, it meant that she wasn't awake, that she was sleeping a good 22 hours a day. And it isn't like that anymore. You have more than phenobarb and tegretol and you know, whatever else was on the market then. So it's science has really come a long way and it's been exciting to watch it. And you always wish it was 10 years sooner, but it, it has been exciting to watch. And, and the different surgeries, they both got a vagal nerve simulator and that's catching an amazing amount of breakthrough seizures. And the only way you can really tell sometimes that's working is if you're in the hospital and they shut it off for a couple of days to get the EEG reading. And then you see all these breakthrough seizures and you're going, wow, the machine is catching those on the other days. So that's pretty exciting. When did you move from Arizona to the Pacific Northwest? We did that when Sissy was just a toddler. She was two years old. And so that would have been, you know, 89 And And had you met other families with TSC at that point? At that point, I didn't meet any other families, but Linda and Jim Deller were leading the Pacific Northwest group at that time. And back then before computers, you know, you get this little pink slip in the mail and they got the notice that I had notified the TS Alliance in TSA that we had moved to Washington and Jim and Linda Deller reached out to me. So I knew, okay, there's somebody else. At that time, there was only an 800 number for the NTSA that you could call Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, Eastern time. And that was great. I could talk to somebody who understood and knew and, and could point me in the right direction for some things. But, you know, the seizures always start at Friday night, 4 o'clock. You can count on it. <laughs> and, or 6 o'clock when the doctor's office is closed. So it was different. And there was no computer group. So I didn't meet other families until... 95, I was putting on a world's largest garage sale. That was our big fundraiser at the time. And I drove around. I had sent out letters to to families that we were going to do this. Do you have junk for me to pick up? And I did. I, I drove all around the doggone state and picked up a lot of people's items to have in the world's largest garage sale for TS. And it wasn't until... I don't know, later that year, that fall, Leslie Fox was running the group and she got us all together for a group meeting. And then we were able to sit down, talk to each other and meet each other and see each other's kids. And that was different. That was finally, you got real life people. You can see they're doing the same thing you're doing a couple of cities away. Man, it took away that alone feeling. It really did. And so how did you first get involved? Was it volunteering on the garage sale or before then? That was the second garage sale I 
had, but that was the one where I went around trying to meet people. And before that, there was a newsletter that came out in the regular standard mail to let us know what was going on. And yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And then after that, I tried to run the group in 94, 95. I wasn't very good at it. (laughs) It was hard with snail mail and not knowing my way around Washington very well. But uh, I know there was another lady, her name was Nancy. And it was called the Year of the Brain in 95. And there was this huge conference at the Seattle Center. And we had a booth for tuberous Next to us was neurofibromatosis and headaches was on the other side. In this community, big civic center thing, there was all these booths and there was conferences going on upstairs. And then we had neurologists and pharmacists and everybody, and they would stop at the booth and ask us to tell them about tuberous sclerosis. And we did that for five solid days, Nancy and I, and we're just handing out information left and right and talking to anybody and everybody. That was awesome to to be able to give out information. And some of them were medical students. After that, then when Leslie got the group together, then that was a changing point. That was, okay, this is what we need. We need to be able to see each other, talk to each other, and know that somebody else is missing T-ball games because of seizures. or It puts a strain on the relationship. And other people were dealing with that too. And feeling lost. But we could point each other in directions. There were no TS clinics at the time. So it was word of mouth okay, this doctor doesn't know what I'm talking about. What do you do? Where do you go? Okay, I'm not recommending a doctor, but I'm saying, I go to this doctor, he knows. I go to this doctor, he knows. Your pharmacy won't pay for this. Try this, call this person. Everything was word of mouth. That's all we had, but it worked. Yeah, that's incredible. It must have been so surreal being at that conference in 95 and talking to doctors and supposed medical experts who just had no idea about TSC. Yes, it was. I I walked in feeling like I'm just this little, little bitty parent, but living it, it mattered. And there were things that they didn't know. I mean, back then, even still, doctors would go, they'd tell you, wait a moment, let me go. I'll be right back in the room, you know, when you're in clinic is because they went to look in the encyclopedia and come back. And here we were able to tell them, no, this is what it looks like. This is what is living with it. There's all these different kinds of seizures that don't fit your description in your encyclopedia. Yeah, it was that I think that was when I find that my voice counts. Absolutely. And I I mean, that, that still holds true today where parents have to kind of become the expert on behalf of their kids because there are still doctors who don't know. And yeah. So you volunteered to lead the group and your first stint didn't go necessarily how you wanted it to go. When did you decide to try again? That was not until after the transplant. And when Susan Jorsky had been leading the group and then she moved to Oklahoma, it left a gap. We had just lost D and there was talk about canceling the walk. And I wasn't going to have that. Uh, So a group of us got together. Some of us seasoned moms and dads, we call ourselves. And we decided, no, we're not We're not going to. Yes, it's going to be hard to put together. Susan's leaving. D passed. And it, it took us all, you know, it really kicked us in the gut. And we decided we weren't going to let that happen. So Devin was here at the time and, and he took chairperson and, and I decided to be vice chair. And we put this walk together with about five of us, six of us. And then after that, it was just the first time was hard. And after that, it just, it was easy. It was easy. And, but the group couldn't fall apart up meeting. We couldn't just give up. And if I needed to not feel alone still, so did all those other parents who were just coming into that. So when some of the weight got lifted off my shoulders here at home and we weren't running dialysis, 
it was my turn to, to help give back. And back in 95, when, when Leslie took over, I had gone to nursing school and I knew that I couldn't do that. I couldn't be of any use. I need to get through that. And Leslie, she kicked butt anyway. I mean, she was able to really get everybody together from all over the state. So that was really cool. How has the group changed since those early days in the 90s? How's it grown since then? Well, because of the internet and email and text messages, uh, there's so many more ways to communicate. And so we are able to reach people who may not have found us before by snail mail. I still try and keep a regular USPS mail list. It's still cool to get an invitation in the mail once in a while to something. It's nice. It you know goes past the bills. But with that, you know, people can communicate with everybody all over the world and, and they can see events that are coming up and pick and choose. So there's probably a bigger following and it's easier to reach people. But the in-person, to get people to come out when they do, they're really glad they did. Like maybe they were going to make it, maybe not. It's kind of cold. It's kind of rainy. But then after they get there, there's, oh my gosh, what about this? What do you guys do about this? What about that? And and there are things that you can't ask the doctor. The doctor is going to help you with prescriptions, this and that. Okay, well, what do you do about 3 a.m. when you're so tired that you can't function and, and you're afraid you're going to miss a seizure? And then you can share information and you go, okay, this monitor here works better than that one because of this. Or, you know, or somebody's having trouble with, well, the school said this and I guess it's okay. And then you've got another mom who will come in. Oh, hang on a second. No, you have the right to ask for this, that and the other. You can call PAVE. Here's their number. They'll join you at your IEP. It's empowering and it really does calm you. It is hard on the whole family, tuberculosis is. And it works differently for each family where the siblings get their time. But at the same time, they know that you're still going to take care of the child with TS no matter what they need. And and there's a balance and every family finds it differently, but it's cool to hear how other people do it and work that out. And you can't get all that out of a doctor and a nurse because they're not living it. They clock out, they go home. You don't get to clock out with TS. In your acceptance speech, you really made a point to call attention to a lot of people who support you, who help you in your role, other members of the community. Who, who are some of those people who have helped shape that community and help continue to keep it strong? Oh, wow. There's a lot. Okay, but we've got, uh, so Leslie Fox is, uh, she, she's amazing and she's my buffer. I, I run with emotions or everything right on my sleeve. That's a good quality and it's also a fault. Leslie's my buffer on that. And, and she will, okay, back to the business side, Gloria. This is how you approach it. Go with shorter words and, you know, give this time or whatever. She's She's got the business side and the the realistic and down to earth. She keeps me grounded. Adrian, she's one of my walk co-chairs and <laughs> she's got three little, little boys and this amazing au pair that allows her to do things. Yeah, she has these ideas and, and she's a nurse practitioner. Her husband's an emergency room doc. I find it amazing in our group how many people are in the medical profession before they run into TS. And then we've got just, okay, so Mary McDermott has, has a job with um, people who do estate planning, um, special needs planning. And so she's got all this information that she brings to the table too. And she's this incredible advocate and she helps guide on that. And and then we've got Maria. Maria, she's one of, uh, one of the moms of one of our younger kids too. And she knows people. Like for the walk, I'm like, okay, what about this or that? What do you think, Maria? And Maria says, oh, well, I know these people that do this. And, and these people know that people. And, and she's just like this little connecting person. <laughs> and 
an advocate as well. She's so strong. We've got some of our more seasoned moms. Jean Leonard is, I mean, she works with the lawmakers. She's right there. She's she's a lawyer. And she just, you know, you can ask her anything. Look, I don't get how this works. And she just says, oh, well, it goes like this and that and the other. But let me make this call and let me make that call. I'm like, how'd you do that? <laughs> it's this incredible team that comes together. We've got Marilyn. Marilyn's a nurse practitioner, RN. And so she's in the medical field also, and her daughter does really well. She's a little higher functioning, but not completely independent. And and she brings things and she's just so casual. And when we all go camping, then it's just such a great time just to sit and chill and everything becomes lighter around Marilyn. She's got this incredible outlook. Melissa has been through a lot of things. And yet she's still right there when we were in COVID and we were hooking people by email. Melissa still stood up and said, I'll help. Let Connect me with one of the younger moms. I can help. I can listen. And that was incredible because she's just been through so much. Her family. Oh, gosh, my husband. <laughs> He's the one that drives the RV, tows the trailer. It has all this stuff. It's all organized for the walk. And he just zip, 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 puts the tents up, the tables up. He makes it all happen. We didn't have the RV this last meeting, but he just, you know, okay, here's the Jeep. Yes, we're going to drive through the snow, but here's the snacks. Here's this, here's that, the other thing. And just in case we have a bad day, we've got this for that and the other. And he's, so what do I do? Well, get in the car and go. And he just makes it all happen. And and he tolerates me. He tolerates me. <laughs> I have bad days. I have hard days. And, and I have sit down and cry days. And he doesn't quit. He doesn't go away. He's been there for almost 20 years. It's the first time that when we combined forces, become a family. And we moved to Polesbo, a town that we didn't even know. And he thought we were easy. I mean, <laughs> I had a 14-year-old son that gave him heck and, and two daughters and one with TS. And, and he thought it was not that hard. And I thought, oh my gosh, who's this guy? And then, then we brought in Cody and he's like, okay, all right. Anything else? Well, can we have three dogs? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's awesome. Oh, I don't want to leave out Katie and, and Jeff. Katie and Jeff, they uh Katie's the photographer. She's amazing. And she put together this cute little video last year of the walk and it just she captured everything. And uh Jeff is Cody's biological father and and he's just been an incredible support over the last gosh, at least ten years. I mean, he's just he's just really been there and they show up if we call them and, and say, hey, we need help. Can you help us? And they're there. They make it happen. You kind of described your walk too in your speech. And it it sounded fascinating like how far people come and they come from remote islands. And yes. just what is that experience and that day like? Well, part of the way we describe it, when you have picnics or when you have a doctor meet up and at somebody's house and you gather it isn't just that Washington is spread out. All states are spread out, but we have mountain ranges and weather zones. And it's interesting to get from one place to another. And, and we have Oregon too with us. And I try to get down there. So when we have those events, it's like, it's like a family gathering. You know, you might get three families, you might get eight families together and it is a great day. But when you have a walk and it's something exciting to go to, it's like a family reunion where you got all the cousins and all the second cousins and the in-laws and the outlaws and the twice removed, they all come. And, and people who didn't hear about the picnics or whatever, because maybe they're not online. We've had people show up from Idaho. The woman was about my age and she had never met anybody else with tuberous sclerosis. That was 2019. Okay. So here she was her whole life. She'd met, never met anybody with tuberous sclerosis still with all the technology available. 
And that was incredible to me. When we do the walk, it, people do drive. They they drive because it, it has something for everybody. It's a safe place. And by that, I mean, if there's you know a family and they're mingling, they're talking to other people and their child with TS is over here and they either have a seizure or a meltdown, that child is safe because the people around them, they get it. Nobody's going to let that child get hurt. Nobody's going to let that child walk away. We watch out for each other because it's just something you do. And we feel like they're, they're safe from judgment, safe from embarrassment. If somebody has an absolute meltdown because, I don't know, they, they dropped their toy in the mud or something, you can bet somebody's over there replacing that. Somebody's, you know, patting that mom on the back and somebody's, you know, making it better. And, and nobody is looking, oh, my God, what is wrong with that child? Like they do in Safeway or Walmart. It is OK to just be there. And no matter what happens, it's all right. We all get it. That part is exciting. It's, I don't know, you can't replace it. Some people, they may not make it to any other event the whole year or for three or four years. And if they make it to their walk, it's it's like a recharge. It's like, okay, all these people here, they give a dang and they get it. And they're dealing with the same thing I am. And, and you're recharged. You go home like, yeah, I got this. And it gives you a day to kick back. Like, I hate tuberous sclerosis, but this day I'm standing up with all these people and saying that we're not quitting. We're still hoping for a dang cure, better treatment, better options. And that's that's powerful because a lot of days it really just beats you up. In your time as a volunteer, have there been any moments or events that have really stuck with you as meaningful or as special? Gosh. Okay. Weird part is we try not to call each other volunteers here because we feel like our kids got drafted and, and we're just standing up with them. But nobody volunteers for this crap, but we fight back. Our first camp out, there's this place in Eastern Washington that has their nonprofit also based on somebody else's dream. It's called Camp Primetime. And they have these cabins. So it's not like we're in a tent, okay? Because not everybody's all about that. But they have these cabins. And then the staff comes in. They volunteer where they they make all the meals. They make the coffee. They do the dishes. They even run some of the activities like s'mores. <laughs> we have a silly sing-along where we sing the ridiculous songs you learned in third grade, okay? Campfire songs, but it's fun. And the first time we went to that, I didn't know what to expect. And we got some families together and we went. And so you're going to this place out in the woods in Yakima and it's kind of secluded, but it's also, it isn't mingled in with a bunch of other camps and campers. It is along a road where you're trying to look at a map to get there and you don't have a lot of cell signal. So you are secluded and you're hanging out with these, maybe there's three, maybe there's five or eight other families for an entire weekend. And somebody else is doing all the dishes and the, the extra chores that just make your day a little harder. So to us, it was kind of like a resort, but you know, that was really cool. The The kids all fit in, the siblings fit in. We had these silly sing-alongs. We went out on a pontoon boat on the lake and it was, they cater to special needs groups. And so they have every safety precaution in place that you could imagine and all these life jackets and they only take so many on the pontoon and each one of our kids got to drive it for a minute. My daughter went in circles. I thought I was going to lose my mind or my stomach. Each one of those kids was special and there was a hay ride. And, and then later, if you wanted to, there was horseback riding, which with the horseback riding, you can take a picture and it's your kid on a horse. But what they don't see is there's somebody at the front of the rope. There's somebody on the other side of your kid. And there's somebody who just stepped aside from this side of the horse for your kid. 
And so for a moment, you capture that photo, but it is, I've never seen something so safe and incredible. And they even had stairs so that the kid could get up on the horse. Our kids got to ride a horse. I mean, that just doesn't happen. That's cool. And it was spending the weekend with these families and just chit-chatting all day and and playing games. And the kids would accept each other and the siblings would include everybody and they played basketball. And I think that was one of the best times ever. And and we go almost every other year and different families will come. But it's really nice. And my favorite part, though, I think, too, alongside all the others was I didn't have to cook anything. I didn't have to clean anything. I didn't even have to clean the bathrooms if I wanted to. <laughs> you know, but yeah, that was cool. What is your hope for the future? And for you, you are a seasoned veteran at this point with TSC, but what is your hope for newly diagnosed families who come into your community? I hope that they find each other. They let us help each, them find each other and that they keep fighting back, that they're not afraid that the first time the school says, well, we just can't do that, that they know they have the right to say, let's talk about this and let me get some help in here. Do you know about these laws or those laws? They actually apply and, and that they get every service possible for their kid. And if they can see the value in that and get their kid every advantage possible in the beginning and, and keep fighting back. I mean, when we were doing the, the March on the Hill, and we looked at the the things that were coming out of the out of the previous bills, the research and the the studies that have gone on. There was one that said that they are in in little mice that have tuberculosis that they are replacing the gene, and that these mice are stopping seizing, and that they're becoming more social with each other. So they're kind of fixing the autism and fixing the seizures. I hadn't realized that was going on. So when they first found those genes in the 90s, you know, my family was lined up giving blood too. And we always had this hope, well, if they find the genetic defect one day, maybe they're just going to be able to replace those defects or fix them. Just fix them. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's not. And they're doing it now. They're doing it in the mice. I hadn't realized that that was going on. That's cool. You know, and back in the day when, when we had brain surgery, and that was just 2005, it was a two-week ordeal. It was a put the probes in, sit there for a week. They remove part of the scalp, the the the, the skull, and, and then they put it back in when they did the brain surgery a week later. And it was a two-week stay in the hospital. These kids are going in on Monday and leaving on Tuesday. You know, it, it is laser surgery now. It is zip, zip, done. That's something that we could only think about. So these moms with these little bitties right now, these little kids, it's it's just going to get better. But everybody's got to keep fighting for it. Everybody's got to keep pushing for it. They got to get together and they got to share information. I hope they see that, that there is a value to being a seasoned parent or even a parent five years into it, you know, and they reach out. So my final question for you is, what did it mean to you to be recognized by your fellow community leaders as a uh, outstanding community leader this year? That was hard because I don't see it as anything more than taking my turn. Everybody has taken a turn or and those who have not are going to. I'm taking my turn in the position, you know, for whatever time I can. And as long as it's working out for my family and working out for the community and, and I'm making a difference, I'm glad to do it to be recognized for it to to see that they they see what I'm doing and, and that it means something to them. It's, that's really cool. That that's it's really touching. It it does mean a lot and it's embarrassing. And 
because everybody has done something. Everybody has done something amazing and everybody supports and everybody shows up and that's just it. Everybody shows up. And, and when I can't do it one day, then, or when it's becoming harder to do, then, then I'll hand the baton. Absolutely. I'll pass it to the next person and then they will take a shift. And then the next person, I mean, it's, I like it up here. I like the way the people are and, and they continue to, to support. And it, it's, it was, it was very it's warm and fuzzy. Well, let me just say then on behalf of the rest of the TSC Alliance, thank you for stepping up, for serving when you felt it was your time, for helping to create a space for new families to come in. Something that I've heard from other newly diagnosed families is, you know, when you first hear tuberous sclerosis, you're thrown into a state of chaos, just trying to find your bearings. But then, you know, once you reach some level of stability, that's when you want to get involved. And People like you have been through that who can be a safety net for those new families to give them what they need with a new diagnosis, give them the space to cope and to, you know, find the experts that they need and then come back as as volunteers. So it's it's so critically important, not just for families now, but for even the next generation and and helping create strong communities. So thank you for everything that you've doing. And thank you for being so candid and open with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. My thanks again to Gloria for sharing her amazing story. I'm truly inspired by the volunteers we have at the TSC Alliance and how much time and energy they give to being a resource to other families. I hope this story inspires you and I hope you carry that inspiration with you into 2024. And if you want to get involved with the TSC Alliance, you can find out how on our website. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.